These are just tripping hazards. You know that for me, right? So whose story have we been reading about? David, yes. And we're going to look today at one of the most infamous chapters in David's story. Uh, page 248 in the Pew Bibles. We're reading 2 Samuel 11 and the first half of 2 Samuel 12. Generally, there are two names associated with David that even people who don't know the Bible know about the David story. One is Goliath, and the other one is Bathsheba. In fact, if you go down Lake Drive, there's a little shop in East Town, and the name of the shop is David and Bathsheba. And I always drive by that, and I have to pull in one of these times and go, really? <laughs> like, have you read it? Do a little witness. Maybe they can call it, I don't know, what else? Something. Hopefully not that, because I got nothing. Just change it. Adultery sold here. I don't know. That's what it means if you know the story. I don't, I don't understand. It's a little disconcerting. So we're going to read through, um, we're going to do the first half of the story this weekend and the second half of the story uh, next week. And we're reading until uh, chapter 12, 15. Here we go. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the women. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent the word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, mm, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, you've just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah remain in Booth, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. And David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. And the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. 
As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the, people, some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you finish telling the king all the news about the fighting, then, if the king's anger arises, and he says to you, Why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead too. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Uriah had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gave an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archer shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this matter trouble you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Press your attack on the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and hordes, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink him from his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guests who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Judah and Israel. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonite. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. For you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. 
Nathan said to David, Now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. This is the word of the Lord. David had it all. He had everything. His army was so good, he could just send them out, and he didn't even have to go with them anymore. He had conquered Israel and Judah. He was the king in his castle. He had everything. And so he gets up one afternoon, and he stretches after his great long nap, and he goes up to the roof to catch the breeze, and he looks at all that he rules. And there's a woman who catches his eye. Hey. But, hey, who is that? And he's told, that's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam, and she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And right there in that moment, he should have stopped everything and said, well, blessings on her house. Because Eliam and Uriah were his friends. These were men who had been with him since he was in the wilderness. They had been with him in the cave. They had fought the skirmishes with Saul. They had fought against the Philistines. They had been with him when he brought the ark back. They had been with him when he feasted on all that Abigail had prepared. They had been with him every step of the way. They're described at the end of 2 Samuel when there's kind of a recapturing of David's life. Eliam and Uriah are included in the list of David's mighty men. They are his brothers. They're on his team. But when David hears who Bathsheba is, who her father is, who her husband is, it says, so he sent for her because he knew that they were gone. And so he sends for her and she comes. And some people like to blame Bathsheba and say, I mean, come on, who's out there bathing in the middle of nowhere anyway? Like, what's going on with that? But Bathsheba was participating in a ritual, a religious ritual. She was being a good, obedient Jewish woman. After the time of the period, there would be a few days, and then you would go into the mikvah, the sacred bath, and you would wash and be purified. So he knew when he was looking over and he spied her, he knew that that's exactly what she was doing. She was probably in her late teens when this event took place. She and Uriah aren't described as having any children yet, which makes us think that it was relatively early in their marriage. So Patrick, imagine her about 16 or 17, David's in his mid-30s. She's the wife of a soldier. He's the king of the land. She's a woman. He's a man. Who has all the power here? David, right? He sends, and she comes. And he's not thinking, I want to, you know, get to know her. I want to feel about her hobbies. That's not what's on his mind. 
He's thinking of one thing and one thing only. He gets it done, he sends her back. He's thinking, that was great. A lovely afternoon to be king. She's married, I don't really care. I'm married, I don't really care. It's against the Torah, I don't really care. Because I'm David. I'm the king in the castle. I'm the king of all I survey. I was anointed. I killed a giant. I outlived Saul. The rules don't apply to me. I'm David. The rules don't apply to me. (sighs) Rules don't apply to me until she sends word back. I'm pregnant. Ooh. What am I going to do now? So he sends for Uriah. Uriah, hey, come on here. Come on back from the battlefield. Come on, come on over. And he makes those pretense, like, how's everything going? How's Joab? How's the people? How's it going? Great. Would you go home? Could you, could you just go home? And here's a fruit basket, right? Isn't that funny how the Hebrew says, in a present, followed him home. It's like airborne present, following him home. But it means that, like, he sent him a gift basket, like, here, enjoy this together, you know, like, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, go home. He thinks, I am so good, I've covered this up so well. And then he finds out that he didn't go home. He's like, you're right, come here, buddy, what's going on? Why didn't you go home? Dry's like, um, because that's not what we do because we are soldiers, because we are a band of brothers. If my guys are out there on the front line, if Joab, my commander, is out there on the front line, if all of Israel and Judah are out there, do you think I'm going to go home and be with my wife? Uh-uh. No, I'm not doing that. That's not what we do. David thinks, oh, man, this guy is such a goody-goody. What am I going to do now? So he says, all right, uh, stay one more day. And he gets him drunk. And Uriah is such a goody-goody that even when he's drunk, he doesn't go home to be with his wife. (laughs) And David's like, oh. And this is where things turn dark. He writes out a death sentence for Uriah, and he gives it to him to carry back to Joab. Joab reads this. Joab's a pretty cunning man. But he realizes that if he sends Uriah into battle and then says, everybody pull back from Uriah, he's the one who's going to be blamed. That's a pretty easy thing to trace. Why do we have to pull back? Don't we like Uriah? I thought we liked Uriah. And so he arranges it so it's a little bit more subtle, a little bit more mysterious, a little harder to trace, but that means that other people die. So he says to the messenger, when you go back, David's going to be mad because he knows that this is bad strategy. This is not the way to win a city. He's going to be ticked. So I want you to lay out for him everything that happened. And when you see him start to get a little annoyed, I want you to just add this line. Uriah the Hittite is also dead. You got it? Good. So sends him back. Lays it out, we were doing really great, and then we kind of went too close to the building, you know, and the archers, and everything was kind of messy, and some people died, and sorry about that all. But by the way, uh, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And David's like, well, you know, it's a cost of doing business. It's 
the way it happens. You know, we are warriors, and uh, the sword devours one as well as the other. So, you know, going back to Joab, tell him, all good, no worries. Encourage him. Good. He awaits the period of mourning, which is seven days. He brings Bathsheba in. She's probably two or three months along at this point, and he's thinking, I got away with it. This is great. I am the king. I rule. The rules don't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. I'm a sophomore. Open house hours are really for freshmen. I know how to work the system, baby. I know how to make this work. The rules don't really apply to me. I'm 21. I can go to Founders on a Monday night and throw back a few with my friends. Yeah, maybe I get a little buzzed, you know, maybe I don't always drive home particularly well, but you know what, I'm only 21. The rules don't apply to me. I'm a student leader. I'm busy, I'm volunteering, I'm in like 12 different organizations and I'm a double major. Do you think I really have the time to do my own lab reports? Is it such a big deal if I pay someone else to do them for me? I mean, come on, I'm a student leader, the rules don't apply to me. It's Halloween! I can dress like a woman with loose morals. Because it's Halloween and the rules don't apply on Halloween. Rules don't apply to me. I can get away with this. David was so convinced that the rules didn't apply to him that when Nathan came before him and started spinning this tale about a rich man and a poor man and the you and the... He got angry. Anger kindled within him, we're told. He got angry. He is so convinced that the rules don't apply to him that he dares to take the moral high ground. Who is this man? He deserves to die. He should pay back four times what he took. Who is this guy, Nathan? And in one of the most powerful sentences in all scripture, Nathan looks at his king. He looks at his friend. He looks at this man that he has eaten with and worshipped with and sang songs with. He looks at this man that he loves and he says, it's you. You're the man. David, God has given you so much. He's given you so much. Look where you live. Look who you've become. God has given you so much. And you do this? You take from this person who had so little and then you kill him? 
You're so flippant earlier, David, about the sword devouring one and then the other. And now the sword's going to devour your house. The trouble's going to come right from within. And these things that you have tried to keep secret, these things that you have tried to hide, well, what God's going to bring on you is going to be out there for everyone to see. A sword's going to come in your house, David, and trouble's going to come in your house. And that's exactly what happens. This child conceived by David and Bathsheba dies a week after birth. His son, Amnon, rapes Tamar, who's his half-sister. Tamar's full brother is Absalom, who's so angry that David will not step in that he kills Amnon. And then he rebels against David, and he is the one who sleeps with David's concubines in the palace. He's the one who pushes David out, and then he too is killed in the rebellion. And then when Solomon takes the throne, there's a threat from another brother, Adonijah, and he too is killed. And so in David's arrogance, when he said he should pay back four times what he took, the newborn, Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, You're the man, David. The rules apply to you. We like to have these theological discussions about is God a God of justice or is God a God of mercy? And here in this passage, we see both because the punishment for sin is death and someone has to die. And people die. But did you also see what happens when David owns his sin? When he says before Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The next thing that Nathan says is, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die mercy but the child that is born to you will justice it is the mercy of God in David's life that he sends Nathan he says David I love you too much to let you get away with this With every step you took over the last nine months, you moved further and further away from me, and I can't stand that. I can't let you get away with it. So in my mercy, I am going to call you back and call you to account and tell you that the rules apply to you and the punishment for sin is death. Because I love you too much to let you get away with this. I love you too much to let you get away with this. God's been doing an interesting thing in my life this week as I've been working on this passage. When you realize that one of the big themes in this passage is that David thinks the rules don't apply to him, the Holy Spirit starts to poke you and say, oh, 
Mayor Polk, where do you think the rules don't apply to you? So this week I go in to get my allergy shots, as I'm one of those people. <laughs> and there's this rule at the allergy doctor where you have to sit for 30 minutes after you get the shots, so that in case you go into like anaphylactic reaction, that they're there for you and then like give you drugs and save your life. Yeah. And I will freely confess to you, I have not stayed 30 minutes because I am a very important person and I have a very busy life. And sitting for 30 minutes in a waiting room when I've done this for three years and nothing has ever happened, I've got better things to do with my time, people. So I walk into the waiting room this week and I swipe my little card and I sit there and I, I just think, oh, mayors, you're going to sit your butt in this chair for 30 minutes this time because the rules apply to you. The rules apply to me. It may seem like a really small thing, but this whole tragedy in the house of David occurred because he spent about five seconds too long looking at someone who wasn't his. And he could have stopped it at any point along the way, but he didn't. It's in the small acts that we do day in and day out where our character is defined. It's every time we say the rules don't apply to us that we are saying that we are better than God, that we know better, we know how to run our lives. And it doesn't matter if it's open house rules and you think they're stupid, they apply to you. It doesn't matter if you're 21 and you feel like you're pretty competent as a driver even when you're buzzed. The rules apply to you and I'm not just talking about the laws of the road, I'm talking about the ones in scripture that say don't get drunk. I don't care how involved you are. If you're plagiarizing your papers or paying someone else to do them, you're gonna get caught. The rules apply to you. And Halloween is no excuse to be anything other than a beautiful daughter of God. The rules apply to us. And it's the mercy of God when someone calls us out. When someone says, you're not living the life God called you to live. When the Holy Spirit pokes you and says, God loves you too much to let you get away with this. David writes in Psalm 32 that when he was silent, when he tried to contain his sin within him, his bones wasted away. It was like he had physical pain because he was trying so hard to keep everything under control, to keep everything under wraps, to be sure that no one would ever find out. And then he says, and then I just realized I had to confess it to the Lord and pour my heart out to God and say, I have sinned before you. And then he says, God forgave me. Do you notice that when Nathan comes to David, he doesn't try to blame other people. 
He doesn't say it was Bathsheba, you know. I mean, come on, Nathan, you get this, right? He doesn't say, well, it was Joab who actually carried out the order. He doesn't blame anyone. And he doesn't minimize the sin. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, people do this all the time, right? Battles happen, people have sex. It's not that big of a deal. And he doesn't disown the sin. I didn't do that. I don't remember anything about that. He owns his sin. Because in owning his sin, he can receive God's mercy. God wants to call David back into relationship. God loves him too much to let him get away with this. He loves him too much to have this distance between them. And we like to think, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. You know, he was pretty harsh. He was pretty mean. But it was Father, Son, and Spirit who were in relationship with David. And it's Father, Son, and Spirit who are in relationship with us. And we get to know something that David didn't. And that is that God did not ask anything of David that he did not place on himself. Because God, the Father, sacrificed the life of God the Son so that we could be made right with him. Jesus died on a cross because of our plagiarism, because of our lying, because of the things we try to get away with, because every time we think the rules don't apply to us, Jesus died. Because the punishment for sin is death and it has to be paid. And that's a hard mercy. But that is the love of God. God loves you too much to let you linger in your sin. God loves you too much to let you linger in your sin. God loves you too much to let you take one single step away from him. And so when someone calls you out, when someone names your behavior, see that as the mercy of God in your life. See that as the love of God calling you back. See that as the love of God saying, I have given you everything. And if you ask, I would give you so much more. The rules apply, and the rules are to give you life. God loves you too much to let you linger in your sin. So where's the Holy Spirit poking you tonight? Where are the little things that you do that you think don't really matter. Because when we try and bottle them up and keep them inside, 
kills us. But when we speak them aloud, we have life. So I invite you now to take your hands and lay them open on your lap. I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, you created us in your image. You designed us to be people who love and are loved, who play, who rest, who work, who delight. You've given us so much. And so forgive us when we try to get even more. Forgive us when we try to take things that don't belong to us. Forgive us when we think that we are above the law. Here now, in this silence, God, our prayers of confession. God the Son, Jesus, the Anointed One, you said that the greatest gift one could show their love is to lay down one's life for one friend's, one's friend. And you did that. You did that for us. When we were deep in sin, you died for us. Your blood was spilled. Nails in your hands and feet. Thorns in your head. Spit in your beard. Lashes on your back. For us. Jesus, Messiah, anointed. Upon you was the punishment that we deserved. Here, may be spoken, may be silent. Here are prayers of thanksgiving for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ.
God, the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the ways in which you poke us, that you don't let us get away with telling ourselves untruths, that you call us back, even tonight, that you show us the areas where we're getting sloppy, where our character is being compromised, where we are not living as sons and daughters of the King. Holy Spirit, poke us and prod us tonight. Call us back to you. Speak. Speak into our hearts, we pray. And give us courage, Holy Spirit, if there's, if there's anyone that we need to partner with, anyone to whom we can be a Nathan and whom can be a Nathan to us, if there's anyone who is intimate with you and intimate with us, who can call out the sin in our lives, Lord, let them call it out. And when they call it out, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you help us receive it and own it, to not blame another and not to deny it, to simply own it and confess it so we can receive your forgiveness. Holy Spirit, move among us now, we pray. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you love us too much to leave us in our sin. You love us too much, and so you sent Jesus. You love us too much, and so you send the Holy Spirit. And you place us in this community of people who love us. How gifted are we? How blessed are we? How grateful are we? And so, triune God, Receive the prayers of your people as we turn from sin and find our way home in you. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's forgiven people say, Amen.